I think the other thing interesting about all these foods I com- I compared to um, is this idea of welfare of animals and sentient life. Like, where did this myth come from? How did we get so misguided and lose touch with our own uh, connection to nature and, and, and life and, and you know, the, our, our, our empathetic, our empathy, our potential for empathy, that we, va- we, we value sentient life the lowest on this totem pole of values, right? Candies, we can charge more for that. And, 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 and the system behind what creates this cheap, conventional industrial meat we can put blinders on and ignore that true cost the you know these animals that are suffering and um, living in uh, conditions that aren't compatible with life and fed um, antibiotics to to make up for that and living in their own filth and scared and traumatic and sick and diseased and then you know that turning into our food system um why is that the why, why do we even think that that should be the cheapest thing in the store. It should be the most expensive thing in the store. And yet we've just laid out countless examples and scenarios where even in the most premium case, it is extremely cost effective. Um, but shouldn't we value the life of an animal and a sentient being more than a, than a piece of chocolate or a, or a, 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 a bean? Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is Where Hope Grows. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Hey, everyone. So excited to have you guys join us for today's story. We are diving into a topic that I'm really passionate about. We're calling this the true cost of food. And I'm joined by my co-founder and friend, Robbie Sanson. He used to be a CFO, so he's the guy to really spend some time with when we're thinking about cost and value holistically. Anyways, we're going to get into this topic. We're going to deconstruct this notion, this narrative that frankly drives me fucking crazy that in order to eat healthy food, food that's good for your body, food that's good for the ecosystem and the animals and the other sentient beings that it was sourced from. Well, there's this underlying assumption or notion that it cost a lot of money. And that's what we're going to dive into today. What is that cost and what is that value? What are we accounting for on the front end? And what are we not accounting for on the back end of every time we spend our money on food? Is eating healthy only for the socioeconomically advantaged? Is it elitist? Do you have to shop at Whole Foods to eat healthy? Well, here's some myths that we're going to dive into and completely explode. So excited for you to join us. Hang on tight. Let's talk about the true cost of food. Okay, here I am. With my old pal, Casparis Sampson. Robbie, okay, why were you so embarrassed the last time around whenever 
you know, we told all of our listeners your amazing middle name. <laughs> yeah. So the the backstory there is that you swore to me, uh, and I believe naming rights of Nextborn were put on the table, that every <laughs> of your guests, all of them, were going to be going... All three names, the full the full Monty of names, so to speak, and uh, and convince me to you know come forward with my full name as if I'm like some sort of arrogant person talking in the first person. <laughs> and looking back, I still think I'm the only guest that has given you the full driver's license legal version of my name. That was my bad. I just really wanted yeah your your full Christian name, and um, the intention truly was to ask all guests their full name. But I have seriously forgotten every single time because I just can't get yours out of my my mind. So I'm sorry. In the future, I promise you that, you know, because you're like co-founder of Force of Nature. You're my friend. We can we can try some new stuff here. So like that was just love and being innovative. That was all. So anyways, let's get into this, man. This is a topic that you and I have riffed on for seemingly hours and this one is long overdue. I'm so excited to share it with people because truly what we're going to dive into today is just mind-blowing. I mean, so much of the purpose of, you know, the work that you've devoted your life to and the work with Force of Nature is connecting consumers to their food, connecting consumers to the land, connecting consumers to their animals that they consume. And it's all, it's really just, you know, about that transparency and, and how can you have full connectivity and responsibility um, with your food if you don't understand the pricing. And so you're the man for this. Let's go. You ready? Man, I feel like there's so much to dive into here. And if we accomplish even scratching the surface in, in whatever amount of time we have, we've covered some ground because it, it, it goes deep. But I, I would just clarify too, the pricing is the confusing confusing part, right? What we're going is what is the true cost of food even looking past the price tag? Absolutely. The holistic cost. And so one thing I just kind of want to start out mentioning is in 1960, about 17% of our disposable personal income in the United States was spent on food. And that number might seem kind of low in the 1960s, because imagine before that, like the turn of the century, 1900s or mid 1800s, that had to have been damn near 100% of your disposable income was spent on food, sustaining life, sustaining your family, nourishing your body. But now, Robbie, in 2020, that number has plummeted to 8.6% of our total household income, disposable income in the United States is spent on food, which to me, that sounds like fucking low. And we are the lowest country in the world as far as how little we spend on food, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And so, I just wanted to kind of put that in your head and ask you what what has had to happen, you know, in the last hundred years for food, the cost of food uh, to decrease so much and for the American family to spend so little on food. Well, I think, too, that's the the financial expense, right? But the other big part of food is time. And if you go back that same time span Families were spending greater than 40 minutes to make a meal. Now I think we're averaging under 15 minutes. So we're spending less of our, our finite resources on the thing that sustains us in our lives. And, and to your point, why, why are we doing that? And what are the implications of it? And I think um, 
I mean, there's, there's so many things, a small, a small number of which, you know, I think that we've traded an emphasis on price um, for a, a lack of emphasis on quality. So we've sacrificed quality, nutritional value, health impact and benefits, broader environmental, ecological, social impacts, et cetera, um, to really put blinders on and drive prices as low as possible. We've implemented regulation and government policy like the farm bill um, to allow for tax dollars to fund a system that allows for the price reflected at the shelf to appear lower than the actual cost of that production. Um, we have traded convenience, um, you know, highly processed foods and hyper palatable forms Again, unhealthy and 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 uh, whatnot, but convenient. Throw it in the microwave for sixty seconds, whatever the heck it may be. We've traded convenience for you know these cost reductions. We've re replaced agriculture with agribusiness, right? So the seen an insane amounts of decline in rural communities. You and I have talked about that. Farmers and ranchers are failing by the thousands. Um, big businesses are buying them up. So we've replaced culture with with profits and. Again, we've just trusted. We totally delegated um, our food system and our cultural and national stability and our own health and welfare. We've delegated that to large profit-centric businesses um, and entrusted them over the over time to represent what would otherwise be our own values and expectations when we were procuring and making our own food and. They've disregarded what we may find valuable and disregarded what we need and disregarded these externalities and these costs to like healthcare and our own, um, our own stability for the future production and ability to create food and focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's driving up their own profits. Yeah. The one thing that you said that really resonated and I hadn't thought about before is like that parallel, you know, relationship it's like a linear relationship between how much we spend on food and and how much time we spend preparing food and so much ab about this you know we say it all the time and it's like when the expense is put above all else then all else is at its sacrifice and 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 for me that time that you spend making food that's time that you spend with your family that's time that you have that spiritual connectivity to the food and you're able to celebrate it and show gratitude and reverence and bond and connect with your community. And so it's all these other intangible things that have had to change because of how we perceive the value of food. Yeah. We prioritize m more time on social media and watching Netflix over time with family preparing food, which is interesting too, coming out of this whole COVID period where so many people have heard time and again in different interactions and contexts saying, Oh, one of the, one of the silver linings has been, you know, I haven't, I've spent more time at home and with family and cooking food, right? And so, you know, everybody saw the value in that shift, but that value is one of those things that isn't reflected on shelf price. And there are so many things that aren't reflected. And again, that, that the mirage of that sticker price, when you really factor in that commodification, like we talk about is putting price above all else at the expense of all else. And there's a whole lot of all else that never gets talked about and isn't, isn't printed on that label. Yeah. So if people are, if Americans are spending less than ever before in history on food, what are, what are we spending our freaking money on? 
You know, it's not like uh, our, our savings accounts are increasing. And I think this is a true reflection of a the cost being transferred to other parts of our lives um, or we're paying those true costs. But but, you know, like in areas that we rather shouldn't or didn't intend to. And so, you know, one of the fa most fascinating things is the United States is one of the highest cost of health care in the entire world. So as a country, we spend four point one trillion dollars on healthcare. And that, that equates to about $12,500 per person in the United States. We're, we're not spending that much on food. And so, you know, what, who, who came along? Did anyone come along and say, I think this is a good idea. I think we should spend less on food so that I can spend more on healthcare. Right. It's just ironic. And it's crazy that we're in this position. Yeah. I think it's one of those inconvenient truths where we'd love to put on our blinders and have a, a, a bias and ignore it right i think the key thing when you when when you look at where we're spending our our time and money is where, where have we seen a shift and where have we seen something incremental and i think folks will say oh we're spending more more money on leisure and spending more money on these other things the truth is i think some of the stuff is social right we're spending more money on material goods and labels and brands and trying to keep up with the joneses so to speak but th that may be incremental and it's there's a social debate there on whether that's a good or a, a bad thing. You know, you and I probably have our strong opinions on there's, you know, things in excess, nothing in excess is good. Right. But the, the truth and the reality is, and to your point, a massive shift has occurred between healthcare in the past and healthcare in the present. And there's no doubt there's an undeniable correlation and, and causation of a decline in the quality of our, of our food and food systems and, and eating and eating habits um, has led to detrimental health's effect on our health, in including the fact that we are clearly in, you know, a a health care and health industry and, and health crisis, right? The average age of a child born today is less than the average age of their parents, even in the United States, even at the current rate of technology and advanced understanding of life and medicine that we have. We've seen the prevalence of these quote unquote diseases of Western civilization from heart disease to diabetes to um, obesity, brain, um, you know, dementia, mental disorders, you know, on and on and on and on. Never before seen rates and prevalence There's a direct relation to lifestyle and, and direct relation to food. There's a, there's a cost to that. So there's hidden cost all over the system, right? And with those hidden costs. Is there even such thing as cheap food? I think the, I think the reality is there, there is cheap food, but it lacks value. You can cheapen anything to the point of it being losing its original intended character, right? I mean, food is, is so much to us. Um, it's, part of an economy it's part of a, a system of food producers and a community of people who share and break bread together you know as we as we say colloquially and um, feeding our family and nourishing our bodies and all these things right and you can start to exchange those things to drive cost and, ch and, and cheapen the quality of that thing to the point where you have something that in no way represents its original form right it does not have the nutrition it is riddled with social costs and, and, and collapse. It's riddled with environmental costs, right? And even some of the stuff that you touched on a second ago on stability and resiliency, right? I mean, look at, look at this baby food crisis. 
right? And 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 look at the the meat crisis that occurred early in the quote unquote pandemic, where you know we just couldn't get to our food. That's a brittleness. That's an instability, a, a lack of security in our food system that we've traded off to drive hyper efficiency over that resiliency, right? And to again um, cheapen our, our 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 food, and we've devastated you know, our ecosystems and our, and our, and our planet in many ways. And we could look at that from the conservation and from the, um, you know, ecological perspective and say, that's just a bad thing. But we we could also look at it from the sustain, you know, the ability to sustain our species and produce food in the future and say, we've degraded and compromised our ability to actually produce this stuff in the future, um, by, you know, through soil erosion and soil loss and all these different things, right. Degrading our land systems. Um, all in favor of trying to cheapen price today. So yeah, there's cheap food. There's just a massive cost to it and, and, and a lack of value in it. Yep. And a lack of nutrition. There's a uh, a really great line that I've heard said that right, right now we're starving with our bellies full, right? And so again, if it's all about consuming abundance at the cheapest possible price and without the considerations to all those other elements you just listed. And, you know, a really critical one is our own nutrition and our own wellness and our own health. And we've talked about that. Um, you know, and that, that kind of brings me to a thought where it's, it's like, who's benefiting the most from the cheapness of, of food and the abundant illusion of cheap food. And, I think two 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 ideas come into my mind, but one it's the the multinational corporations that have have scaled this because as a small producer, as a small farmer, or you know someone who's going to the farmers market, for example, you're just never going to be able to compete with an international company like a meat company like JBS on shelf price alone. And so, when the consumer psychology expects ground meat for you know five dollars pound six dollars pound and you just can't do that that puts you at a tremendous disadvantage unless you can tell a compelling story and connect the dots and and really translate the true value of your food so you're at a disadvantage there um and then also you know the healthcare industry is benefiting tremendously from this right so it's it in the ties between the pharmaceutical industry that produces the chemical fertilizer that we apply on our food that are genetically modified and there's patents and wealth to be earned and made there. Um, and then that food is then consumed, ultra processed, consumed by us. And then we become sick. Those same pharmaceutical companies sell the drugs to where we can be kept alive to continue to eat the nutrient void food and perpetuate our own sickness. And, and so that's, in my mind, those are the two biggest players that are winning and, and, and everyone else is losing. Yeah, this is, this gets so complex, right? Cause it, it's so big, especially on an, on a, on a global scale. Right. But I think there are these, you know, you always hear about like the military industrial, industrial complex or the, you know, these complexes, right. Um, you know, our government is an example of one, right. You know, no matter, you could put different people in the presidency, but no individual can pull the whole thing apart. It's just, it's very complex and built to be bureaucratic and, um, be hard to navigate and, 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 and drive significant, a, you know, disruptive from a historical perspective, um, change. I think, 
Every, what, what you what you just touched on is, is spot on. I think there's a few more players involved, right? When you're when you're running when you have a system that is all built around um, this idea of chemical industrial agriculture and pharmaceutical based agriculture, right? There's a heck, heck of a lot of vested interest in running tractors multiple times a year across billions of acres of land when it comes to the cost of that petroleum, right? And that, that fuel and the, and the gas. Um, I think you touched on the pharmaceutical industry. I think the chemical industry is another big player in there. And those, those can be related in some aspects, but separate parties in other aspects, right? Um, and, and certainly, you know, big food, these huge food companies, um, that are making this hyper-processed stuff that have all these brands that we recognize, so on and so forth. There's so many players and characters in, in, involved in, in the process, and they're so big and it's so complex. And what's interesting is you always hear that, that, that idea of like, hey, follow the money. These organizations are donating to, you know, at least within the United States, they're, no, they're donating both to Republicans and to Democrats. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors and a little bit of a, a, a distraction to, the, to, to us as voters and taxpayers. You know, those organizations, those large groups of large companies, you know, banding together to perpetuate the status quo, um, have tied a lot of money up and a lot of influence in making sure that they can they can avoid disruptive change. The sort of change that we as consumers and, and, and we as, you know, you know, hopefully thought leaders in a food movement would love to see um, awaken, right? So what do you think is the greatest consequence and it's so complex but if you could kind of narrow it down to one or just a few consequences of our current trajectory of being obsessed with eating cheap and abundant food you know the the, the truth is the current trajectory is one that will lead to our inability to produce food at all um, and so if I have to boil everything down to one thing and this idea of all these myths about feeding a growing population and we have to, we have to do all the things that we're doing with all of their known challenges and we need to disregard and minimize those challenges because we have to do this for all these reasons, I'd flip the script and I would say we have to make a change because there is no future. The, the illusion of choice, as we often say, um, is just that it's, it's not real. We have only one choice, follow and continue on this current trajectory and get to the point where we cannot produce food anymore because we've degraded, we've diminished, we've squeezed every ounce of opportunity out of everything. And now we're at a loss, right? Other than scarce resources, creating war and, 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 challenges beyond our wildest imaginations at a global scale, right? If I had to boil it down to one thing, the greatest risk of eating cheap and abundant food is that we become a weak population, a weak nation. The weakness that I'm referring to here is in the form of physical incompetence. It's in the form of mental fragility. It's the entire framework of what makes our civilization and our country resilient, dynamic, and powerful. You see, when people are weak and sick, they're easier to control. They can be taken advantage of. They cannot protect themselves. They cannot advocate for themselves. 
And so for me, our ability to remain powerful is synonymous with our ability to be independent and with our ability to exercise our freedoms and be autonomous beings. What I'm afraid of is that we are sacrificing our own strength and our own power as sentient beings, and we are exchanging it in the favor of convenience and for abundance and for cheapness. And that is making us weak. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, we've certainly weakened our mind and our spirit as well. Yeah, weakened our land, weakened our natural resources. I mean, it's it's uh, no one wants to be weak. And maybe that's why our, the newest generation, you touched on it, but like this generation, they call them Generation Alpha. It, it should really be Generation Omega, right? Did you know that betas are actually second up in the in the hierarchy of the wolf pack? Betas are badass. So if you refer to something kind of derogatory as, as like weak beta, beta is just studying the alpha, waiting for the alpha to, learning from the alpha, waiting for the alpha to pass to where it's the beta's turn. So to really truly talk about the weakest link in the wolf pack, it's the omega. And so, we, yeah, we are just turning into a nation of omega wolves. You know what happens to the omega wolf? They eat last, if they even get to eat, and the rest of the pack takes their frustration out on them physically. And emotionally, I mean, they just get their asses kicked all the time. No one wants to be the Omega. I sure don't. This is just the perfect time to slip in a massive shout out and thanks to the life giving force, the blood, the organs of this show, which is Force of Nature. Force of Nature is a regenerative meat company that sources from landscapes in which positive animal impact is occurring and this is regenerating this is revitalizing this is rebuilding and healing ecosystems at scale so if you want to be an alpha wolf if you think being strong is important and being powerful is an attribute that should be celebrated well i invite you to head over to forceofnature.com and get regenerative ecosystem building soil health building meat from strong dominant animals that's forceofnature.com and you can get this meat shipped anywhere in the continental united states and now back to our conversation with robert casparis sanson the third okay so can we you know dive into some real world examples here robbie um one of the biggest critiques, and it's such a, oh my gosh, it drives me crazy. I know it drives you crazy too, but it's this whole idea that eating healthy, eating real food, eating regenerative meat is somehow classist or it's elitist. You have to be socioeconomically advantaged to eat this way. Is that true? Man, this is where I start to get you know, on a soapbox and start pounding my drum and, 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 and trying to get some people to wake up and think differently because we've been misled and we've been conditioned to see and expect and think a certain way. And when we start to maybe pour over some of these examples, we'll start to recognize, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And there's a, there's again, going back to those organizations and groups, there's a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort throughout our life cycle 
designed and intended to make us believe and think things that may not be true or or at least think in a way that may be um, detrimental to ourselves versus um, uh, to, to others. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot here and I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to dive in. Okay. Let's dive in because my hunch is no, this is not for the global elite or the people who make, uh, you know, the, the top of the income spectrum, right? Like some of my best friends who are more right on that medium income range are, are the ones who I know that eat healthiest. Whereas like some of my friends, colleagues, cohorts, parents who are, who are crushing it, retired, did really well professionally. They're, they're like driving really fancy cars. Like you've already alluded to. Sometimes it's more of like externalities, um, that we spend our money on, but they also are the cheapest damn people when it comes to food. They don't want to spend a dime on food. They, they shop at Walmart, right? They shop at Costco. Um, Sam's Club, st- things like that. So, let's let's figure this out. Okay, so so no, uh, definitively, um, eating clean, eating high attribute food is is not for for the elites or for a, a, you know only some. There there are certainly barriers that we have to acknowledge and we can't ignore. Um, but there is also some of that conditioning and some of that training that I was talking about that we can we can break through, right? So I think we should look at some some food groups that maybe were, um, that are widely accessible and that we see all over the place and everybody has access to and, and, and talk about whether those are expensive or not and then compare them to meat. And then I think we should look at some, some meals that we could create. Um, I'll even show you the, the, the dinner that I had last night with my wife and we'll compare that to maybe eating a meal at Seven Eleven or a fast food restaurant. We'll see which is on an absolute basis, dollar for dollar cheaper or more expensive. And then we can apply our own sort of theoretical understanding to. And then if we look past the dollar and we look into the true cost of food and we talk about the impact on all these issues and, and our own health and broader economy and so on, you know, the, I think that the scales really clearly start to tilt in favor of eating high attribute and regenerative meats as being the most valuable and cost effective way to, to consume. Um so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe do you want to dive into some examples of food? Let's talk about what's cheap versus what's not, or do you want to dive into some meals? You know what? Let, let's, let's talk about just, yeah, how we perceive value of food. Maybe some, can you give me some examples of foods that Americans spend significant amounts of money on with very little value all in versus things that they don't? Okay. How about, um, let's look at some stuff that's available at every major retailer um, every major mass chain and, and, and club chain, like from, from Walmart to Target to, to Costco to Sam's, uh, and further all the way down into, you know, these food deserts where all they have is, uh, fast, uh, um, gas stations. Um, so, uh, how about chips? Chips expensive, Taylor, or are chips cheap? Uh, I would definitely say that most people think chips are cheap and abundant. Okay. So for, uh, for our, for, for us. Yeah. Let's not talk about nice chips, organic, fancy chips. Let's just go, you know, bottom of the barrel gas station chips. Yep. So, so just speaking about force of nature, cause we are very high and we are a premium quality, premium value and premium price product. Right. And unfortunately after three years, you know, we've been able to avoid price changes up to this point in time. 
Uh, conventional meat has gone up significantly over that time, but we're in a unique period of time. Everybody understands we just had to raise our prices too. So looking at our current price, which will be our new price going forward, um, the highest it's ever been for us. The And, and looking at beef as an example, the, the, the cost of our beef is about 74 cents an ounce. Regenerative, grass-fed, pasture-raised, coming from incredible operations, driving incredible solutions, literally mitigating and addressing all of these challenges that we've been talking about and have been talking about for, for years. 74 cents an ounce. Are chips expensive? No. Okay. Lay's potato chips uh, at 7-Eleven are 87.26 cents an ounce, a full 13 cents more expensive than our meat. Wow. And, Ruffles. and you, you get seed oils. Oh yeah, you get you get all you get heart disease, you get cancer, you get diabetes and obesity yeah. and genetically modified plants and the herbicides and chemical fertilizers put on those. You get you become weak, right? Yeah. You you get you get low energy and you get you just, you know you get sick and sad. Um, that's why they call it the, the sad diet, the standard American diet, right? This is a keystone. It's not just Lay's. Ruffles are forteen an ounce. Uh, what is that? 40 cents more expensive per ounce wow. than, than our meat? I feel like those are shittier too. Yeah. Like those are just, that's just fake food. I don't even think a, a pig would eat Ruffles. I mean, they might like ridges. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, Fritos, eight an ounce. Doritos. a dollar eight. An ounce on Fritos, and these are and, and that's and, like corn based. And this is like this isn't like the smallest mini single pack, right? This is kind of one of those mid-size multi-serving packs. Yeah, um, which I would think that a person eating a full meal at Seven Eleven might might go for one of those. And we'll talk about it. We'll throw these into a full meal that you might get at a gas station in a bit, and we'll see what that comes out to. Doritos are eighty four cents an ounce again. Again, the most expensive example that we just gave was a full ten, you know, more than ten percent more expensive than um, our. Um, grass-fed, regenerative, pasture-raised, ancestral blend meat. And let's be clear, too. Meat is the most nutrient-dense, most healthy, most essential, full of all the micro and macronutrients that you actually need to survive and can survive on exclusively. So there's value in it, and not just the value in the system that it's supporting that is, you know, the virtuous system that's replacing the very vicious system. Um, so th that's interesting. How about candy, Taylor? Is, is candy expensive or is candy cheap? You know, anything that's at the cash register, um, whether it be a gas station or a grocery store, they put that there because it's like a, an impulse buy. So it's cheap by nature. It has to be cheap. Snickers. A dollar seven an ounce for a Snickers bar. Oh, bad deal. Dang it. Yep. Wow. Yep. 36, 30 cents more expensive than our meat. Uh, M&M &M, uh, with peanut in it. A dollar eleven an ounce. And here's a good one. Hershey's milk chocolate bar. It's just chocolate. A dollar twenty-four an ounce. Man, fifty cents more expensive than the current price of our premium beef that could fuel you to a healthy, happy, strong, not weak life. Solve challenges for social issues and people around you, and welfare of animals, and ecosystems, and global policy and conflict is cheaper than things or is less expensive than the very things that we find available all over the country in food deserts. And as a general rule, all considered to be cheap. This is blowing my mind. Um, I just can't wrap my head around 
how we accepted this to be, how we accepted to pay more for these foods that are void of nutrients, full of toxins, make our bodies weak, and we complain about grass-fed regenerative meat that heals us, nourishes us, and is good for the planet. I think it's part of that conditioning that we talked about. You know, again, this the system loves us as non-disruptive, compliant, consumptive machines. Buy what we say, where we say, how we say, when we say, don't ask questions, don't rock the boat. We'll keep making more money. Y'all will keep getting sicker and sadder. And I'll get my bonus. I'll be retired by the time any of these things really result in catastrophe. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Tay. Like I, I look at this stuff and as I said, it, it drives me, it drives me bonkers to even, even think that, um, I mean, we could be having some of these conversations and I think comparing an ounce of meat to an ounce of a, of a, of a candy bar is, um, I think it's important and, and breaking through that conditioning, but I think maybe we should go the next step and look at a meal, right? Cause when it comes to really nourishing ourselves and our bodies and feeding a population. We need to be eating meals, you know? Um, and so let's expand this example and go into, um, what I ate last night. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I normally start my day with breakfast. You want to just jump right into dinner? Well, I, 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 I did the analysis last night on what I ate last night. Uh, you got a breakfast one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you go for that? Okay, let me go for a breakfast one. So Robbie and I did a little, we, we assigned ourselves some homework here. And um, I'll preface this with, I used to eat like shit. And so I know how to buy abundant, cheap, nasty food because I did it for a long period of my life that I regret. And Specifically, this uh, this example was inspired by, uh, I used to be in a band, and we toured the country, and so we would eat breakfast at gas stations, and we would do it alongside all the other truckers, all the other people that were on family vacations, so we got really good at this. Um, but so, went to my local gas station, and in my exercise, I have a family of four, so I, I bought food for a family of four. Okay. So keep that in mind. And when I went through this too, I was totally fair. I mean, this is how I would have shopped. I could have spent a little more. I could have spent a little less, but to actually get quote unquote full or some type of nourishment, here's what my menu looked like. Okay. So I, I bought four of those little taquito things like breakfast taquitos. They're just spinning on on the, the wheels there, some kind of convection oven, just sweating. They never stop sweating. I don't know what's going on there. Each one was $2.20 each, so times four, $8.80. Can't just eat taquitos for breakfast, right? So spent a little money on Hostess Donuts, and those are basically those white, fluffy, powdery miniature donuts. That's three nineteen for a pack of six, so... Not even everyone in this family gets to have two, which kind of sucks. Uh, Pop-Tarts, I uh, could buy a box at 7-Eleven for $5.79. have to eat those cold, but you're getting the idea. The cost is adding up. And anytime you go to a gas station and you're buying any kind of meal, you, you buy a drink, whether it's you know a cola or an energy or a coffee. I kept it family-friendly, and I got a quart of True Moo chocolate milk. Which, you know, it's kind of funny, all these gas station products, they don't even spell the food right, right? Like milk is spelled a little bit funny. 
or donuts is like a little bit off. And when you see products that can't even legally use the name of the product they're trying to emulate, that should be a red flag, by the way. Um, the last expense here, and this is debatable, do I need the Pepto-Bismol Ultra for upset stomach and diarrhea that will ensue? I don't know. $8.99. Maybe that's not important to me this time around. Okay, regardless, I'm going to total this up. I'm going to actually total that up later. So that's pretty bad. Um, now, my healthy breakfast, this is going to a local. We should total it up. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to total it up later, but let's do it really quick. Okay. Thank God Robbie's here. He was an accountant, a chief financial officer in a previous life, so he knows his shit. Uh, okay, so I spent all in to feed my family of four, hypothetically, $21.77, which comes out to $5.45 per person, which that's pretty damn cheap, right? I got it pretty good. It's not bad for breakfast. I mean, it definitely is going to keep us full for at least 30 minutes. I, I would have thought it was going to, you know, thinking about gas station food, I would have thought it would have come in. No. A little less than that, frankly. I, and, no. and, and, and 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 you're talking about maybe getting Pepto. I would have been thinking about maybe getting like an energy drink or some <laughs> of those. What are those caffeine pills, right? Because this isn't gonna fuel you. You're not gonna have energy. You're gonna crash hard and you're gonna need a you're gonna need a boost and a snack. That's true. I didn't add the Pepto. That's like the hidden cost of food. Right? <laughs> that's that's something I'll pay for later. The hidden tax on this meal not reflected in the shelf price. Absolutely. Either you buy the Pepto or you have to invest more in toilet paper. So now, to compare that breakfast not for champions to a breakfast for champions, went to my local farmer's market, and it's a pretty small farmer's market, and I know farmer's markets get reps for like very expensive food, but I'm trying to do this exercise very fairly, and at my local farmer's market, I can get grass-fed, um, regenerative beef from a ranch uh, about 40 miles from me at $8.00. A pound, okay? And I can also buy 12 pasture-raised chicken eggs, which are non-GMO, for $6 for a dozen. Now, that is more than enough to feed my family of four. So that's $14 all in. That's $3.50 per person. That's pretty fucking good, right? Nourishing your body with nutrient-dense fresh eggs and grass-fed, grass-finished, locally-raised regenerative beef. That's badass, right? Your 7-Eleven meal is like 60% more expensive. I mean, if people think this is a lie, go fact check it. It's All right. No how about how about a, 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 a bigger meal? I don't, I'm not feeding a family of four. I did, a, I did an N of one, just me, two servings, a little bit more hearty, big meal at the end of the day. Can we, should we dive into that? Yeah. Dying to know. Dang, I can't believe your breakfast. I don't, mine's, mine's good, but that's crazy. Uh, all right. So, um, I went to 7-Eleven and I kind of did a, a, a high and low case scenario. So I grabbed one of those bag of chips that we're talking about, uh, Doritos, Lay's, Fritos are all the same. So two twenty nine. Um, I looked for one of those full fat and carb garbage dogs that came off of a roller, uh, cause they had this little bin underneath that you could pull out and you could touch everybody else's hot dog bun and your own and, and, and spread whatever fun goodies that your, your, your weak immune system is carrying with you. Um, and you can get two of these quarter pound, um, pieces of junk for, for $3 and 49 cents. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not eating one hot dog. I'm eating two. 
uh, and when it comes to comparing comparing to our, our our stuff, I'll have two servings, not one. Um, and then I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I may. I may be a little more health conscious. I may get a turkey club instead of those two dogs. And so in the turkey club scenario, I'm going to give, uh, that was 549. Um, and then I said, the same as you, right? I'm going to need something to chase all this down with. Uh, uh, a big gulp uh, is a buck 69. But I also, again, have that high case scenario too. So in the turkey club and the high case scenario, I went with an energy drink and those things are pretty darn expensive. But I'll be conservative here and put it on the low end at three bucks. So my... Uh, meal for myself uh, at 7-Eleven um, ranges from 7.47 for chips, hot dog, and Big Gulp to 10.78 for chips, turkey club, and energy drink. Man, that ain't cheap. No, that's crazy. That, I would have thought that you could have got. I thought those hot dogs were going to be like buy one get one free, kind of cheap. They should be. I mean, it's. I think one was two twenty nine and two was three forty nine. Jeez, those things have probably been spinning for like a week too. You you got maybe you got a deal. Maybe they're fermenting. You got some probiotics. I got something. <laughs> it's not. It's not reflected in the price tag. I know that. Um, okay, but then you know what did I eat instead? Because uh, I actually looked at that on my way home from work yesterday, and I came home and then made made dinner for my family. So what did what did, what did I make last night instead? And quite frankly. That pickup at 7-Eleven would have been pretty cheap and or would have been pretty convenient from a time perspective, right? So how much time and energy did I spend um, getting what um, my, my own my own food, right? This alternative case, right? So um, I Instacarted. So from a convenience perspective, uh, force of nature, ground beef ancestral, so I can get my lean muscle, high protein, incorporated organ meat, full spectrum of macro and micronutrients. And I, and, and on that same order, I got a package of, this is, this is actually a go-to move in my family. We got frozen, um, organic, um, stir fry mix, right? And this one particularly had onions, mushrooms, peppers, um, golly, what else did it have in it? I think some broccoli, oh, green beans. Um, so tons of veggies, it's frozen. So it's convenient. Our meat is, is also frozen. So I could just pull this out whenever I want, uh, through that in, in a, in a skillet, browned it, threw in the ve- uh, veggies, made a stir fry. Simple. I mean, it took 10 minutes. Um, so it was just as convenient in my opinion. Um, if not more, cause I didn't have to walk into Seven Eleven and feel as sad as one gets. Um, the total cost for, for me to have a half of a pound of this meat and two servings of these vegetables um, was $7.25. That's amazing. That's pretty much, I mean, that's cheaper than your your uh, nutrient void meal at 7-Eleven. Yeah, the 7-Eleven was seven forty seven to ten seventy eight. And your meal actually sounds badass. I mean, that's my jam. Well, you just watched me eat some of the leftovers for lunch today. You know what I mean? So from a convenience perspective, I got a twofer. Damn. Yeah, that's what's up. And, and yeah, the nutrient density of your meal is all, I mean, that's where it's at. Oh yeah, I feel great. I hadn't bought Pepto in years. What do you think about fast food? Fast food is synonymous with cheap. It's also synonymous with convenience and it doesn't have the best reputation for quality. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people tend to, on this, on this scale of cost or cheapness, think of fast food as, you know, an entry point. 
Um, and I think again, from a food desert and access perspective, fast foods kind of everywhere. And sadly, you know, prevalent in those areas and communities where, um, you know, it's, it's, it may be slightly more difficult to find other options, although they still have grocery stores. So how snobby and bougie do you feel spending under $7 and 50 cents on dinner? Do you feel elitist? Well, I, I guess it depends. You know, I, I, I drove by, um, uh, Chick-fil-A cause I was like, what is some of the cheapest type of meat to put in a, in a value meal package, right? It's chicken. But I, you know, I wanted to be fair and go to something popular and, 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 and not scrape the bottom of the barrel. So like, what is kind of a, a, a cost of a value meal there? So there's a, they have a grilled chicken club. And we're in Texas, by the way. We're in Austin, Texas. These prices are going to differ. If you're in California, add 20% to everything, right? And same thing with the Northeast. Um, a value meal at Chick-fil-A was ten twenty-nine For a family? For, for a, one person's value meal for a grilled chicken club. Oh, was boy. It was ten twenty-nine. So, again, like... a full $3 more than, than my meal, um, and, you know, approaching approaching 50% more expensive on a true cost perspective, right? And again, mine's going to create incremental value in all those areas. And this one's going to, going to, going to create a, a, a liability to our health and wellness and those, and the same of those around us. So yeah, your home cooked meal should be the value meal. And then that's the value list meal. Yeah. And then I went, I went down the road to another kind of a regional burger chain. Uh, and those value meals were between, uh, 10 and $13. Wow. That, yeah. When, you know, it's been a long time since I know you and I have eaten at one of those places. And I always remember as a kid wanting a Happy Meal. And I always remember feeling sad after that. So now when I look back, I call those sad meals. And I think there's even something there with standard American diet. I was way ahead of myself. But those are standard American diet meals and they're not, not good for you by any means. What about um, this whole kind of concepts switching it up a little bit but maybe like so maybe maybe the problem is eating meat and maybe maybe like to um eat cheaply we should cut meat out of our diet right so like what is what are you going to say if someone's like okay well whatever you guys are eating meat that's first world that's like super uh high socioeconomic you guys are privileged you guys should go vegan what does that meal look like if you swap in a Beyond Burger, Impossible Food, something or another? Well, I think we can take that t two routes. We can look at um, the um, the the plant based meat, affectionately called plant based meat, because it comes out of large processing plants that never existed before in history and takes smokestacks and factories to produce process. Uh, but I also think that we can look at it from like, what if you were to uh, go through and buy some specific items at a grocery store too, right? And I think I'll, I'll, I'll answer the grocery store version first and then get into the fake example because there's so that, that one's just so fun to tear apart and go dive into. But just real quick pointing out, you know, we've already gone through the candy, the chips, you know, these things, some of these things would fit into that, you know, that vegan plant-based narrative and, and, and diet. I mean, heck, I know, I know vegans that love Doritos or, uh, um, Oreos because they're vegan, right? Um, we've already proven meat is less expensive than that. But you go into conventional bulk nuts, 
and they're more expensive than the most premium meat. You know, you get into the high-end organic items and those things skyrocket into being astronomically more expensive than even the most premium meat example that we've given. And then, you know, maybe this is more in the, in, in the, in the middle class vein, but look at what people pay for alcohol and wine and bourbon and olive oil and vinegar and all these things where we can really start to appreciate the value of having, you know, certain attributes and what do they call it? Terroir pass through maybe in it and all those things. You know, people pay un unbelievable sums. And on average, people pay pretty high dollar amounts for, for those items. And so, you know what else people pay quite a bit of money for without considering the cost holistically is coffee, right? Like either you're buying some hipster cool brand from Seattle that's not even organic and you're just happy to pay, you know, 14 to $18 for a pound of ground beans or your vices, you're going to like Starbucks or another chain and you're just buying four to $6 fancy coffee drinks daily. And you don't bat an eye at the cost of that where still it's like the idea of paying just a little bit more for some of the most nutrient dense meat on the planet. The idea of paying $8, $10 for an entire pound of meat, it's so off-putting for these people. And just some other things that I, I think of, it's like the amount of money that we pay for vitamins and supplements. I mean, think about that, right? You know, this is truly the most profitable industry you can get in as a manufacturer. The margins are crazy freaking high and people are buying all types of different supplements, which is so ironic because you buy these supplements because you're not getting the nutrients, you're not getting the vitamins and the minerals from your food that's cheap. And you're taking these supplements, which you're paying for because you have to have those life-sustaining vitamins and minerals so you can continue to proliferate the pattern of being a consumptive machine and eating cheap and shitty food. So that's just something that's mind-blowing to me. The other thing is like, this whole idea of superfoods and how, you know, like the vegetarian vegan communities really, they did a good job at branding a lot of, uh, shit superfoods. And it's like, you can call anything superfoods. It you don't have to define it, but talking about things like acai and cacao and moringa, or maybe some mushrooms like cordyceps or chaga or lion's mane, you get the idea. Anyways, this stuff is like you go to the grocery store and it's, you know, $20 a pound. And when you actually look at the nutritional label, there ain't shit in there. And so just another really interesting thing. My last kind of comment that this makes me think of is that this whole idea that grocery stores that are called health food stores, it's like the name of the store itself has to imply and define that this particular grocery store has decided to intentionally carry foods that promote health. Now, other stores, your conventional grocery stores that just otherwise say grocery store, it's implied that those stores are not based on food that sustains and provides human health. So the value in these conventional grocery stores is not value for the consumer, but it's value for the shareholder of the grocery store. It's value for the profitability of the owners or the corporations or the public holdings that receive dividends and make money from exploiting consumers 
and force feeding them garbage. And so I think, you know, even if we break it down like that, we can see, we can see example after example after example. We can't, we can't go through all of them in the, time, in the limited time that we have right now, but there's just so many um, ways to pierce the veil and look at this challenge differently with a new set of eyes and a new perspective. I think what's wild is uh, looking at it from the, from the vantage that you laid out um, beyond meat and impossible foods, um, taking GMO, chemical, industrial, agriculture produced corn, uh, uh, or excuse me, in their cases, pea, uh, peas or soy, um, and processing those through extremely complicated, extremely intensive processes uh, to produce a sludge that needs to be fortified to even begin to replicate the very thing it's trying to emulate, which is meat. Um, and, and the end result being a perpetuation of these catastrophic, um, outcomes on land and in communities and in systems, a, a product that you could debatably call food that is toxic and awful for your health. Um, and all it is not addressing any of the myriad of issues it claims to be a solution for. It's actually worsening those things, uh, and, and all at a shelf price that is comparable with high-end regenerative meat, right? When I was looking at both Beyond and Impossible, um, their ground meat was effectively the same price as, as most of ours, and their sausages were the same price as most of ours, and their burgers were the same price as most of ours. So you're paying a massive premium to generate even more problems for yourself and those communities that you care about around you. I think the other thing interesting about all these foods I, com I compared to um, is this idea of welfare of animals and sentient life. Like where did this myth come from? How did we get so misguided and lose touch with our own uh, connection to nature and, and, and life and, and, you know, our, 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 our empathetic, our empathy and our potential for empathy that we, va we, we value sentient life the lowest on this totem pole of values, right? That candies we can charge more for that than, and, and, um, and the system behind what creates this cheap conventional industrial meat, we can put blinders on and ignore that true cost. The, you know, these animals that are suffering and, um, living in, uh, conditions that aren't compatible with life and fed, um, antibiotics to, to make up for that and living in their own filth and scared and traumatic and sick and diseased. And then, you know, that turning into our food system, um, why is that the why, why do we even think that that should be the cheapest thing in the store it should be the most expensive thing in the store and yet we've just laid out countless examples and scenarios where even in the most premium case it is extremely cost effective um but shouldn't we value the life of an animal and a sentient being more than a than a piece of chocolate or a or a a a, a, a bean well it seems like we need to do some introspective finding deep into our soul where we're actually looking at what is valuable because the way that I'm hearing you speak and the truth that I see is that we're placing value on technology and we're placing value on processing, right? But we're removing value from nature, from life, from animals. And I think even on a deeper level, the origin of this it explains a lot with how 
ecologically our planet is being extracted from in mind. And I think until you can recognize the value of mother nature, you will never recognize the value of a whole food, which is perfectly created, designed, gifted to us by God or source or the creator, whatever you want to believe in until we recognize the value of that beautiful design, that perfect design, we will never recognize the value of nature. And in a sad way, when we don't recognize the value of those whole foods, we will never recognize the value of the land steward, whether it be a farmer or a rancher. And if we don't value farmers and ranchers, then we don't value the work that they do. We don't value the animals that they raise or the crops that they plant. And we certainly don't recognize the value of the soil, which is the life-sustaining force of the entire system. So for me, this is really awakening in that we need to emphasize and reconnect and express the most sincere apology to Mother Nature for losing sight of the incredible gift that she's given us and the immense, unquantifiable value of her creation. Oh, it's so interesting. You saying that just made my just I just I just thought of this in the moment, right? It's like one system puts value on a billion years of evolution and the other system puts value on a billion dollars raised in a pyramid scheme to try to invent something new and better than what is already existing, solving a problem that doesn't exist and yeah. centralizing wealth in the process. You know, Tay, you, you, you've told me through the years that maybe I'm a little loquacious and, and, and talk too much. And this has maybe been an example of that. I hope it's been helpful for folks, but you know, I think one of the key themes that we always try to promote. And if I was going to leave folks with a, with, with what I hope would be a good, a solid takeaway for them, it's, you know, understanding the power that they have as consumers, right? Let's not be these predictable, controlled, consumptive machines that we're being told to be. Let's take a let's take a step back. Let's be independent thinkers, make our own assessments and and pursue change uh that the, the change that we want to see, right? And 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 we have that opportunity every time we purchase something, every time we consume something. Um you know, we always like to say every time you go to the cash register, you're casting a vote. That's true. But more than that, it, it's not like we, we don't understand as Americans what it means to cast a vote because we kind of think of this election process where we tend to be disinterested or disenfranchised and show up in low numbers. And we think that we have this opportunity to abstain, right? Like, I don't like either of the options. I'm not going to vote. We don't have that reality and, and consumption, right? Every time you buy something, every time you purchase something, you're voting. And if we continue to cast votes for this conventional industrial monocrop system, we are complicit in everything that that system represents and everyone that that system harms, including ourselves, including our children, including farming communities and animals and ecosystems and oceans and the sovereignty of nations overseas and beyond. Right. And so don't underestimate the power that you wield. 
right? Nobody is going to produce or manufacture a product that consumers won't buy. And if we talk to, start to stand up and pull the blinders off and say, hey, I'm not going to allow that crap to continue. <clears throat> and I'm going to make sure that my values are understood and represented in the food system that I'm going to support and that I want to see represented in the future. Every time. doesn't matter. Clothes, apparel, tools, equipment, whatever it is that you buy, you know, that, that, that reality exists. And in the case of meat, you know, I choose to vote for change. I choose to educate consumers and make them aware of these issues. It's not my prerogative to tell them what to think. It's just to give them the opportunity to think for themselves and take a stand for what they believe in. And I believe that consumers are going to take a stand for, for themselves and their neighbors and, and replacing that vicious system with this more virtuous one. Hell yeah, Robbie. I'm fired up. And I think every single person that listened to this story should be fired up as well. And when we're collectively fired up, we cannot be stopped. So I hope that this episode helped shift your perspective, at least add some context and challenge some of your preconceived norms on the value of food. Because this really doesn't make sense. What we've been told is cheap. What we've been told is expensive. It's all backwards. It's been a lie. And I challenge you to think about this yourself. The next time you're at a grocery store or a gas station, look at that cheap, abundant, processed food that is serving no one and look at it on a dollar per ounce basis and then compare that to the most nutrient dense nourishing foods on the planet which without a doubt are regenerative meat sources and compare that cost on a dollar per ounce level there's really nothing more enlightening than recognizing this and celebrating it and feeding your family and feeding your body with food that has true value. And so I want to thank my guest, Robbie Sanson. Robbie, you're a good sport. I promise I'm going to start asking all the people on this podcast, their first, middle and last name just for you. As always, you can head over to forceofnature.com, Force of Nature is the life force of this podcast. It's like the sun providing photosynthesis to plants. Does that analogy make sense? You get my point. Photosynthesis is good and force of nature is great. So please head over to forceofnature.com and get regenerative meats shipped to your door. Now, the only other thing I'm going to ask you, and I would ask you this at the start of the podcast, but it's really freaking lame when people do that is please, if you enjoyed this, give it a five star review, leave us a rating or some kind of comments that really helps us expand our reach. And that's what this is about. It's about letting people hear these inspiring stories to wake up to new truths and to celebrate the bounties of mother nature. And so you can help us do that. So share it with your friend, give us a review we love that. All right. Remember when I told you guys that I was in a touring band for five years of my life? Yeah, it was called At All Cost, and it was a metal band. And um, I'm going to leave you with the sweet, serenading, melodic music that 
was created and played nationally, fueling my body with toxic junk food. And when you hear it, can you hear the the pain? Can you hear the systemic inflammation? In retrospect, I think the music sounded like how my body felt. And if I was going to write music now, it would be beautiful, orchestra, timeless, symphony, love songs to Mother Earth and to you guys. All right, farewell. Farewell.